Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Solid Dudes Podcast. I am Dwayne Rollins, here live at Whistler's Grill in East York, Toronto, Canada, with Kevin Laramie across the table, another live Two Solid Dudes. Well, live the tape, but anyway, how are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. Rivalry week, national holiday for the people in Quebec, Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day. And is it today that the final elusive victory, the, the one thing that Montreal never did in Toronto, three points, is it going to be tonight? I don't know, but it's it's that kind of day. Sun is shining. It's not going to be rainy, which is weird for a, for a soccer game at BMO Field. Only 1% chance. So uh, it actually feels uh, like a holiday today. Yeah, we don't really celebrate St. John Baptiste Day here in no, Ontario, but uh, like Civic Day, yeah, would be but equivalent. It's, it's uh, well, it's equivalent of July first, really. It's yes. Canada Day for for Quebec, and uh, the only time TFC's played on Canada Day, uh, Martin Nash scored the winning goal, and the uh, Vancouver Whitecaps won, which I believe is the only time the Whitecaps ever won at uh, BMO. So uh, I think, yeah, I believe so. So there, there you go. Maybe there's some um, some omen there for you. That was a long time ago. Now Martin Nash scored the goal, so there you have it. Yeah, a very long time ago. What he retired? What five, six years ago? All right, we got a great show today. Uh, again, we're at Whistler's Grill, and if you uh, are a bar or a pub that's looking to have us come out in location, uh, just uh, send us an email uh, at the Two Solitudes. Uh, Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, twosaltoothspodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. Uh, we'll talk about the details from there and uh, go from there. So, Whistler's Grill, East York, beautiful place. Uh, recommend the food, recommend the beer, recommend it all. East York, Whistler's. Anyway, um, good show today. We've got Gold Cup conversation. We're going to talk about the lineup. We're going to talk about who's not on the lineup. We're going to talk about who is on the lineup. And we're going to talk about who we should just shut up about and never talk about again that's not on the lineup. Uh, we're going to talk about the Women's World Cup. We're going to talk about the England game and whether there's some trash talk going on there, what's going to happen there. We'll wrap up the U.S. a little bit, touch on them, uh, a little bit of a tepid performance against Colombia, shall we say. Uh, the North American teams falling behind. We'll, we'll discuss those kind of things. And we'll, of course, do the Canadian Review and set up tonight's 401 Derby. I think that's what it's been called now, the 401 yeah, Derby. over the years, it's the only one that's stuck. Yeah, it's kind of it, it fits though too because it ignores the Quebec part, which is very Canadian <laughs> tradition. It's the four one twenty derby. Never mind the twenty, just the four one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but we also have a special guest today. We have uh, uh, who is he? I, I don't think I've ever heard of him before. Have you heard uh, him before? I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he played uh, soccer a little bit for Canada. All right, yeah, he's a leading all time scorer for Canada. Yeah, and he may have played for Toronto FC. There's some stuff there uh, about TFC, both good and bad, but. Uh, Dwayne Di Rosario, the uh, TFC's all-time leading scorer, Canada's all-time leading scorer, the one, the only, the man who just retired this past week officially. Uh, he joined us to talk a bit about the Gold Cup today and uh, and what the legacy of the, the Gold Cup is to Canada, what his thoughts were about winning the 2000 Gold Cup, all sorts of good stuff like that. Uh, let's shut up now and put Dwayne on the line and talk to Dero, the one and only. Thank you. 
And welcome back to the Two Solitudes. I'm Dwayne Wollins with Kevin Laramay. Joining us on the line is uh, Dwayne D. Rosario. Knows no, uh, no, doesn't need any further introduction than that. I don't think Dwayne. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, let's start with the reason that we're talking to you today, which is the Gold Cup tour and the fact that the Gold Cup is in Canada for the first time ever. How important is that for the game, Dwayne? Oh, it's huge. I mean, having participated in, in, in five Gold Cups, I know um, how I felt as a player and, and, and the importance uh, that each player will feel um, when the, when the uh, Gold Cup begins. And I think it's it's a great uh, a tournament. Uh, we see the Copa America going on in, in, in South America. We see how big that is. And this is this uh, Gold Cup gives us the opportunity to showcase our Caribbean and, and, and North American talents um, so it's a great way for the fans to come home and support. I think most uniquely, it's, it's going to be held also here in Toronto for the first time. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we've noticed, and I think certainly, I don't want to speak for you, but you probably have picked up on it as well, is the amount of support for the Canadian national team in Canada has grown a great deal over the course of your career. How important is it for you, as, or was it for you as a player, is it for the players that will be playing for Canada to have a big crowd out there supporting Canada at BMO Field? Oh, it's vital. I think it's it's it's, it's when we go to uh, other places to play, uh, our neighbors in the U.S. You see the uh, the volume of fans that come out and show their support, and and, and that support is, is felt by the players and embraced by the players. And sometimes it helps them to push them on in later stages of the game when they need that final goal, they need that final push to see the game out. And 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 the fans is a huge contribution towards that. So definitely encourages all the fans to come out and show their support for our national team. Uh, when we play here in 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 Toronto, and uh, just come out and, and and show your support, and um, you know, I, I know as a player, it, it's a great feeling when your anthem is going on and the, whole, and the entire stadium is singing it. It's a it's a feeling that um, you, you know you feel this uh, kind of superhero feeling that uh, you, there's no way you're gonna lose that game. Having scored your first international goal. We, during the Gold Cup with Canada in 2002, does that competition have a little something special for you? And how can you explain to us the importance of this competition for a country like Canada? Well, uh, as you mentioned, you know, I scored my first uh, national team team uh, goal in in that Gold Cup, and um, you know, for for a lot of uh, the younger kids coming through. The- the ranks it's a great opportunity for them to see what um the competition will be like as as they prepare for uh world cup qualifiers and um you know it, it, it's a great atmosphere and it's a great platform for a lot of those young kids to showcase their talent especially um our young canadian kids and um you know it's it's another opportunity for us as, as a national team to to gain more um understanding and and a relationship with our canadian fans and, and the fans showing their support because when when the Gold Cup was in in, in, in the U.S., we've we've had a great support um, from from our Canadian fans coming going to travel to the states to support us. And hopefully now it being in Toronto and it being in Canada, um, we'll have more people um, wanting to come out and support our, our national team. And, and like I, like you guys mentioned, it's 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 a great feeling to to have that kind of support, especially when you when you travel uh, away from home. 
with the World Cup, Women's World Cup being held in Canada as we speak and Canada progressing to the, the World Cup qualifiers for Russia, how important is this year for Canadian soccer? And is this the biggest uh, hype around the national program, both men and women, ever? I, I definitely have to agree with that. I think this is the biggest um, uh, year for the Canadian Soccer Association to date. Um, obviously, 86 making the World Cup was, was huge, but I think this, this uh, exceed, uh, far exceeds that in just the simple fact that, you know, you have the Women's World Cup at home, you have the Pan Am Games come into town, you have the Gold Cup um, being played in Toronto, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to really push um, um, Canadian soccer to the forefront of the, of the sports across Canada. I've always been an advocate of trying to, trying to, to do that, and I think we, are, we now have it pretty much on a plate for us and I really hope that we we capitalize on all this opportunity that's provided for us the women's the women are doing a fantastic job of, of carrying their weight and 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 making it to, to the round of eight um definitely supporting them and and hopefully our, our Pan Am team will, will be just as successful as well as our Gold Cup team and we had a World Cup qualifier the other day against Dominica um not a big major major country and major game for us but you know the fan support that we received was was tremendous so you're really starting to see the numbers grow the attention is starting to really grow towards this sport in this country and I'm and I'm just I'm just happy to be a part of it uh, Dwayne uh you uh, you were part of the uh, the MLS in the early days, uh, the, the very early days, and uh, it's grown a great deal since then. I'm wondering if you could just reflect upon your your early career in Major League Soccer and and talk about the growth of that league and the importance that league has to the Canadian system. Yeah, I mean, you know, 2001 when I went to when I when I went to San Jose, you know, there was no Canadian team involved within the MLS. Um, the MLS was still. Um, growing and, and, and finding its uh, finding its way through through uh, American and North American sports, uh, you look today and see how much it's grown. Um, the uh, now when you when you have when you uh, invest in a team, you have to have a soccer specific stadium, which is healthy and for the growth of the game. You're starting to see academies starting to grow, like TSC Academy and and, and, and other academies, uh, Vancouver and Montreal. So, you know, these things will only help and benefit our, our, our young kids aspiring to be professional soccer players, um, you know, that they can pursue their career at home and, and pursue that at the highest level possible. I think that speaks volumes for the growth. Not, I think that speaks volumes for the growth of not only this this uh, this game for, for our young guys at the club level, but also it, it, it should um, it should help us out at the international level for the national team and get them further prepared when, when they play in a high level and experience uh, a competitive environment and, and, and get, getting the whole professional um, um, being of, of a professional, you know, prepared for that next phase and that next stage in their life. You were part of the 2000 winning team for Canada. Uh, you know, I don't, yeah. you know, inarguably one of the high level watermarks of the Canadian men's national team program. It was early in your career. Uh, you've since that time, you know, you know, you won multiple MLS Cups. You were the MVP of the, the playoffs a couple of times. You were the league MVP. So obviously you had a very storied career. Where does that Gold Cup championship fit into that from you as a personal perspective? Oh, it's right up there. 100%. I mean, you know, uh, I, I die before that 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 uh, space of time. We haven't really accomplished much, you know, as, as as a national team. So to win that Gold Cup in the fashion that we won it, and 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 how we won, and I think you know, beating Mexico and beating all these quality teams, I think it was was an unbelievable experience. And 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 the guys we won it with, and and the uh, and, and the uh, the way we stood up as a team and fought as a team, I think 
you know, I just, I'll never forget that. And, um, you know, up to this day, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, us as players, we look back on and organization, uh, the Canadian Soccer Association organization looks back on and says, you know, that was a real highlight in, in, in the men's game. And hopefully we could create more, um, more, more memories like that, especially, uh, for, for this Gold Cup. I think it's a great opportunity for us to grab it by both hands and, and, and capitalize on, on a fantastic opportunity. Did you enjoy yourself last Saturday at your testimonial? Oh, unbelievable! You know, it's, you know, I have an opportunity to 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 retire in my in my hometown, and and the fans that came on showed their support for me was was a feeling that I, I can't even put into words. And um, you know, I'm just I'm just grateful for for all the support that that I received throughout my career, uh, whether I went to, whether I was playing in Europe or in in the states, and and everyone that just followed my career and, and being alongside of me and my family sharing that moment with us all was, was, was an unbelievable experience. All right. Thanks, Dwayne, for your time today. Thank you, gentlemen. You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramie. Email Podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Bay Player. Yeah, listen to the show. Now listen to us flow. Yeah, now the hospitality. That's how we do. Now back to the show. Well, welcome back. Thanks again to uh, to Dero, to Dwayne for for joining us. Um, look, Dero is a divisive character within the Toronto soccer scene. Not some, and well, he always has been divisive within the uh, Canadian soccer scene because. His association with Toronto, he's very much always been viewed as a Toronto guy, and I think a lot of people in Montreal and in Vancouver have resisted that over the years, as such as the nature of the divided beast that is Canadian soccer. But, uh, you know, you can't deny what this man did over his career, particularly in MLS and uh, for the Canadian national team. He never turned down a call, uh, with very few exceptions. There was There's a couple in there when they were on cup runs that he maybe uh, negotiated to do something else, but it's natural. By and large, he always took the call. Uh, Kevin, your takeaway from the D-Row interview? What I really take away is how for him, even if it's he was early in his career, how important that championship, the Gold Cup 2000 was, and how it maybe uh, he realized how lucky he was, the fact that he got there early and never was able to get the chance just to get to that final and get live that trophy again. It, it gives a perspective to an achievement like this too over the years. When you... It's like winning the Stanley Cup or winning the ch- the championship uh, in England or winning the MLS Cup on your first season, and you never go back there after. It gives you a certain perspective, and a, you appreciate that victory so much more. And I think over the years, it was mentioned, like you mentioned, the highest watermark, maybe the highest achievement of the national program ever, that victory, the Gold Cup. Maybe the sixth World Cup, the participation. But uh, that trophy, we're not used to raising trophy. And I think it's important that we bring it back, that we talk about it, that we... Bring him back into the forefront. That yes, we were the laughing stock a couple of years ago. Now it's changing. We're we're moving away from that. And that's what I'm taking away with this interview too. His uh, his feelings toward the women, toward the young kids coming up that, that are populating the squad, especially the 23 men roster squad that we'll talk about later. How the pro- there's a progression, and it's continuing that way. And I think he, that's what he's going to strive for as an ambassador for yes MLSC, but as Canada soccer as a whole. I think he's going to be able to. Uh, continue that progression or at least keep the people informed about that progression and always keep an eye on that program let's not forget about it again yeah and Dero's not going any going to going away he's not going away anywhere um 
we did today's interview with a long, long term in mind. We will, TFC fans, don't worry. We're going to try and get Dero back on to talk about his time at TFC. Uh, there's a lot to talk about there, of course. Uh, today wasn't the day to talk about that. He's in town to uh, to promote the Gold Cup. Uh, that was how he agreed to do the interview. So we came, we focused on the Canadian stuff. So if you want to hear that TFC stuff, then be patient, and we will continue to work with with the people that we need to work with to try and get him on to have a conversation about those times as well because that is something that does need to be addressed. I uh, just wanted to let you know why it wasn't addressed today because that wasn't part of what today's agreement was barred. But at any rate, we do thank d for his time and we do uh, thank d for his time representing the country uh, greatly over the years at, at various times. Uh, frustrating sometimes too as well, but we don't need to belabor on that today right now. Uh, just to continue on the Gold Cup quickly, Dwayne, Dwayne Di Rosario scored 27%. Let's just say 30. 30% of his international goal were in that Gold Cup. That tournament was his launching pad for Canada. His first ever goal, like mentioned interview, was scored at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California in 2002 in the Gold Cup. That's one of his best moments as an international was in that tournament. And I think right now with the new generation coming in that tournament, I think... With the game in Toronto, it's important that people go to that game. It's a, a less than a month away, July 14th, the, the double header, the Gold Cup in Canada. It's important. Just be there. Support it and make sure that we get more of those Gold Cup. And who knows, we might even host the whole damn thing one day. And I think that's important because it's our continent cup and we should strive every time to win it. Yeah, and I, I do strongly believe that CONCACAF needs to move to a truly open bidding system for the Gold Cup uh, to move away from the purely financial-driven model, which has sort of dictated things in the past, which has all the games in the U.S., and to actually make it a continental championship. Either that or to go with the Copa combined, uh, which will happen next summer, which is actually my preferred, but that definitely wouldn't be held in the U.S. every time it would be uh, moved around. Uh, I do think that if the Gold Cup uh, is opened up, that Canada should be first in line to to host that in its entirety uh, across the country, and that would be a, a wonderful thing for the sport, and hopefully we'll see that soon. Uh, let's look at this particular Gold Cup, though, right now, and look at the roster, which was uh, released uh, recently. Uh, not a lot of surprises. I guess the omissions were the ones that jumped out, and they weren't omissions so much as unfortunate omissions. They were people that were injured that weren't able to, to recover in time. Um, Will Johnson, he was on the bench for the, uh, the Dominica games. I almost called him Martinique. That's gone. Anyway, Dominica. The Dominica games, he was on the bench for there. Didn't make the pitch. Obviously, they feel that it's probably better for him to remain in Portland at this point and just continue his recovery and look towards the World Cup qualifying in the fall. Atipa Hutchison, that is a big blow, obviously. Uh, Canada's undoubtedly his its best player is not on this roster. That does hurt their chances. Uh, however, it does give an opportunity for other players. Uh, Kevin, I'll let you jump in with, I think you wanted to talk about some players that were on the lineup, though, and the importance of that. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, a little comment from Benito Flora from the last couple of days, talking about that roster. He was talking about the roster, how he's going to use the Gold Cup to continue the progression towards the Russia 2018 World Cup qualifier. He's going to use that period of time where the players are together for periods of 10 days consecutively instead of five when it's a international break. They're going to use this time to gel together to continue to focus on their new playing style, their new philosophies as a national program going forward. And I think the players like Tiber, Tissot, especially Tissot, a year ago, he would never even wore a national team jersey. And a year after that, he's named in the 23-man roster. 
Maxim Tiso already making a a case for being one of the best product of the out of the Montreal Impact Academy system. The fact that he plays with such a poise and confidence on the ball now that he's getting more playing minutes, it really shows. Last week it shows in the Canada game in the World Cup qualifiers with Dominica, and it shows in the weekend too in the Montreal Impact game. And I think he's going to continue to do that. And I think the Gold Cup is going to be for him maybe a coming out of his shell type of moment. Yeah, it's still primarily a very young team, and I, I think that that's amazing. You combine that with what the the Pan Am listing that was just came out, which is an incredibly young team. Well, Bokai is there. Yeah, it's it's a incredibly young team in the sense it has to be. It's a U twenty three team, but but it's U20. like you some of them is U twenties. Yeah, and, and it, it has to do with uh, with it's basically a um, a tryout team, and I think this is something that we never would have seen at the U twenty three level before in Canada. That this is a roster that won't be necessarily even half of what the actual U twenty three Olympic qualifying role roster will look like. It will be some of those players are going to earn their spot on, and I think that that's amazing. So combined with these two events, there's a lot to be excited about in the next month in Canadian soccer for those of us who, who want to look forward and want to look to the future. Um, I think that uh, you know, let's get the negative out of the way before we talk about sort of our hopes and dreams for this tournament. Uh, you know, <sighs> screw Junior at this point in time. Like, screw Junior Holat. You, clearly you don't want to come, so screw you. Go away, and if you want to beg down the line, then come beg and we'll listen because you don't want to ever completely shut the door on talent, but at the same time, come on. Frazier Aird is beginning to be the same for me, too. Frazier Aird, the, uh, the Rangers product that uh, seems to harbor this dream of playing for Scotland or something. I don't know. Whatever. Good luck, Frazier, and your endeavors over there And Rangers. They're in the championship of Scotland. Do we really need you that much? If you want to beg, too, we're happy to have you come back. But uh, I'm sick of talking about the guys that aren't here. Let's talk about the guys that are here, Kevin. Exactly. The new generation, the Lawrence, the Tiber, the Tissot. The players that we will be watching in the Maple Leaf jersey for a decade from now. And those players are the core, the future of this program. And I think they're slowly starting to form a small chemistry in those players. A quick fact, Maxime Tissot was talking about in the preparation for tonight's 401 Derby, how he usually hates TFC, but because he actually started playing with the national team program, there's a couple of players that he hates less. That he's, it's harder to hate them. And I think for Canada's sake, that those relationships that he might find with Osario and those type of players are really good for the future. Just to to get like a core group of young Canadian men's national team player to to grow together, to bloom together, and who knows, push this program where we haven't seen it. Imagine a group of eight players, Dwayne, that stay together for ten years. We haven't seen that and progress all the time. We haven't seen that. Yeah, I, I look at. Honduras, I look at Panama, I look at programs like that, and if you actually look at the names, even Costa Rica, you look at the names on the roster, they don't jump out and make you go, whoa. But what you do, you often see a trend of them playing for two or three different teams in their domestic leagues that, like, you know, obviously they always have three or four, five, six guys at the top end that are playing in Europe, playing wherever, but the core of those teams are often made up of domestic players, and they're often made up of a couple teams in the domestic league, because that's how the structure works. Canada is beginning to come to that that level. Now we haven't got to the point that we get those two, three, four guys that are at the elite level that we can bring in to supplement that. But we're at least getting that base, and I think that that's an important uh, consideration. Um, there's brave talk in this, Kevin, going in from Benito Floro. He's talking about making the final, but trying to progress as deep as possible. Uh, is pull- he pulling off a John Herdman? Yeah, <laughs> it's John Herdman make the final. Uh, yeah, a bit so. I, I think he's. 
you know, it's some of it might be English when it comes to Floro. He doesn't have the best command of the English language just yet. He's better. He's better than he was a couple years ago, but it's still kind of a struggle at times. Um, that said, I mean, it's nice that they're. It's nice to hear a Canadian coach not talk about surviving right now because that's kind of what it's been for the last years. Ah, we just hope that we don't get embarrassed. Well, no, he's talking about winning the damn Gold Cup, and you know, I, I hope to be driving to Philadelphia. Going, I can't believe I'm driving to Philadelphia. I can't believe I'm driving to Philadelphia. Oh my God, I'm driving to Philadelphia. I can't believe I'm driving. I, can't, I hope that happens. And by the way, if Canada gets there, we'll we'll be there. We are accredited for that tournament. We will be present in Toronto, and we will be present in the knockout stage when. Canada makes it yeah. to the knockout stage because yeah. we're. I'm calling in right now, Dwayne. We're making it to, to the quarterfinals at least. Well, you know that would be the bare minimum. Let's talk about the expectations. I mean, when the group was out, the the naysayers all went, "Oh, what a tough draw for Canada! It's all hard." And I looked at it, and in my mind, I'm going, "It wasn't that tough of a draw. We avoided Mexico in the U.S. We got Jamaica. We got you know. Come on, if if we're still like stuck in this like we can't mode, like that's the." That should be like the little, you know, home TFC. It has all for one in the back of the jerseys. It should be we can't on the back of the Canadian jerseys for the last few years. Like, oh, we can't. That should be the logo at the back based on the attitude around the team half the time. But uh, I'm not hearing it from the players. I'm hearing it from the people that were outside the program, that, that followed the program. And I'm sick of we can't. Let's just watch this this tournament. Hopefully we can watch this tournament. I'm not sure what the TV is just yet. But let's hope that it's resolved in the next three weeks. Uh, at any Actually, rate, two. Yeah. And, uh, and enjoy ourselves and enjoy the Pan Ams as well uh, if you're in the GTA and you've been moaning about not being able to watch the Women's World Cup live well the Pan Ams are in town and the women the next generation of women if you, you want to be women focused are in town and the next generation of men are in town as well well in town being Hamilton but they're, they're close and, uh, in the area get, get on the bus get on the go train get your ass down there and watch and support the next generation because there's a lot of fun things to look at predictions Kevin where does Canada finish in this Gold Cup I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. Maybe not go all out and go reach the damn thing and win it like Benito Flores says, but uh, I think a semi-final berth would not be surprising to me. I think it's realistic to see Canada push it to the top four. Yeah, I, I think Canada will do enough to be part of whatever playoff exists to make next year's uh, Copa. Copa. Um, Tom Ford would be there. Yeah, there's a third place game in this tournament too. So if they make the semifinals, then they're going to play in a medal game. So that would be remarkable. And they did, for those that are listening that forget, because it seems like ages ago, they won the 2000 Gold Cup. They actually finished third in the 2002 Gold Cup. And that was, you know, kind of a good follow-up to their championship uh, season. Obviously in 2007, when that Tiba was onside, uh, they were very close to uh, to making a final then and would have played in a third-place game that time as well. And it, by the way, American listeners, Atiba was onside. Let it go, Dwayne. Let no, it go. he it's was onside. <sighs> All right. Uh, you feel so much better after. Let's, uh, let's, let's shift our focus here and um, talk about the women uh, real quick. We talked a lot about the women on our Five Rings podcast this week, so if you really want a detailed breakdown of the Switzerland game, Download the five download the five rings podcast, but uh, it's full full speed ahead to the um, the Commonwealth Derby, I guess we'll call it. Yeah, the the master versus the apprentice, but for once, Canada's the master in the women's game, I guess. Well, yeah, England's ranked above, but, but you, let's just put it this way: England, Canada in the World Cup game, though. Yeah, that's <laughs> never happened in my lifetime before. Exactly. Who thought? I was amazed. Well, they play the England a lot, so it seems a little. It's hard to. Re- think about this as a World Cup game. Uh, they do play the English a lot. They, uh, you know, of course, beat them in the pre-tournament uh, game in Hamilton. Now, there's a few things you need to remember about that game. First off, England did rest three of its top starters. 
They also had gotten off the plane 12 hours prior to playing the game. So they essentially were kicking that game off in their body time at midnight. So, And it was a wonder goal by Sophie Schmidt. A, a goal that is not easy to reproduce. A goal that is not going to happen every game. So a goal that you cannot rely upon to get a result. Yeah, you'll get that goal. It's going to help you once in a while. But you cannot rely on that to push forward to get that result so just because of that i think it's going to be a tougher ask than people think i think it's not going to be easy for canada to beat england and just because of that result of one nothing win people think canada favored they're not folks they're not in that game no and and they have the other the previous five games against england uh, canada had lost four of them so that says a little bit of that and we're going back to after the london they beat team gb in the london games that was their best game of the tournament uh, that was their most complete game of the tournament, including the semifinal against the U.S., which I do always need to remind people that Canada actually lost and allowed four goals in. Um, so it was a great game. And then Team GB was essentially England in that tournament. There was a couple additions, but they mostly was the, the core of the English team was in that. Um, I was having a conversation with uh, Sam Reynolds, uh, the stats writer from um, Young Sam, for uh, for Sportsnet about the percentage, and he was pointing to a lot of models. And I don't want to bash Sam here right now, but there's some models that are suggesting Canada has a 10% chance of winning the World Cup right now. That is based on the idea that it is basically a coin flip for each of the three remaining games. If you really look at Canada objectively, and I'm saying this not to bash them, not to say we can't, but rather to like put it in perspective that the quarterfinals was the high mark that they should be expected, and anything that is gravy. Canada has, since the last World Cup, played 30, I think it's 32 games off the top of my head against teams ranked above them. They have won 12% of the games against the teams ranked above them. Uh, There's five draws thrown in there, so if you put those draws and you can think that half of them end up on penalties or an extra time or whatever going to Canada wins and the other half go to losses, you get up to 19%. So basically one in five is what Canada's chances are against a team ranked above them. If you do um, compound probability, which is how you figure out the chances, the odds down the line, that would be 0.19 times 0.19 times 0.19. I don't want to get too mathy here, folks. That comes out to 0.006% chance of winning, which speaks to my 1% prediction. Which you were re- Even with your 1%, you were exaggerating. So <laughs> statistically speaking, if you look at Canada's results, they have about a 1% chance of winning the World Cup. But I'll say this. There's teams in this. There were teams in this tournament that never had one percent chance. That never were close to a one percent chance. Like, you know, Ivory Coast didn't have a one percent chance of winning the World Cup. Like, there's tons of teams that Colombia even a team that, that had a big upset. It's it was like zero point zero 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 one probably right. Like, if any, yeah. It, it's it's the fact there is a chance is something to celebrate and to cheer for. And if they beat England, which on its own is 20%, and maybe even with home advantage you can make the argument higher, sure. If they do beat England, then we recalculate those odds, and they jump up, and they get up probably to about 6 or 7%, and that's starting to become something that you can legitimately grab a hold of. But it's one game at a time, that's a cliche. Because when you think about it, bucking the odds one out of five three times in a row is not something anyone should expect, but it is something that you can get behind and behind of and cheer for, right? No, exactly. And we have to take it game by game now. We here on Canadian Soccer News both predicted a quarterfinal appearance for Canada. 
the fact is we both predicted probably quarterfinal exit too for Canada. So it's going to be interesting to see that game against England. But it's all about that game. Yes, there's a small percent, but there's a chance. We're saying there's a chance. Yeah. But it's a very small one. Don't believe the hype 100%. Don't believe that Canada's favorite. No. But what you can believe in if, if, if they can hold that clean sheet again, if they can get like that secondary scoring started, or that just scoring started, you never know. But they have to start by just being really compact and not allowing anything like they did the last game out. All right. I did like a little bit of the trash talk. One of the English girls said that... Uh, bronze. Yeah, Julie Bronze? Yeah. Something the, bronze? There's a reason the Queen's on the coin. I, I kind of like that. That's You got to like that. Uh, that uh, there was an article, good article in uh, USA Today, I think it was, uh, or ESPN, women's ESPN. I'm not sure which. I apologize for that. But talked about how the women's game needs more character, needs them being safe less and doing more trash talk. And they were referring to the Colombian girl where she's like, we're going to beat them because they, they don't respect us. Well, the, there's a reason the queen is on the coin is is some good ass uh, trash talk. It's even kind of intelligent uh, trash talking. So I kind of like it. Um, I have a I, I have a provision here. I think that the loser of this game should get to keep the queen. I think that that's what I I would pick as a non monarch person myself. But uh, shall we call it the Liz Derby, the Lizzie Derby? Is there a way that we can actually get rid of the queen without having to maybe keep it because we're losing that game? Yeah, all right. You're talking to them. Sorry, Grandma. God rest your soul. You won't like what I'm saying right now, but anyway. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the Queen Liz Derby. All right. Let's uh, briefly look at uh, the last two results. Japan last night, we, we wrapped up all the other quarterfinals, or sorry, round of 16s in the other one. Um, Japan with a comprehensive victory over, the, over Holland last night. Some really odd goalkeeping at the end made it look closer than it was. 2-1 final there. The USA with a very tepid victory over Colombia. Two PKs, folks. Two PKs. Yeah, but yet they were still complaining about the referee, and Abby Wambach said suggested that uh, that the referee was purposely targeting the uh, USA women. That, um, but uh, apparently, uh, uh, transparent yellows or maybe uh, unwarranted yellows. I don't know. I, I what Abby said was every bit at least as bad as what Christine Sinclair said after the Olympic. Uh, Semi-final in terms of suggesting that there was a fix in. So I would hope that I don't have any hope, but I would, I wish I could hope that they will treat them the same way and that Abby Wambach will receive a, a three-game suspension following the uh, the World Cup, just like Christine Sinclair did last year. Did you listen to the actual, that that post-game comment too? She was like, I was, she was starting to say it. She stops. Everybody's like, okay, she's she's gonna hold herself. Then she just dive. She dove right into it. Like, yeah, I'm going to say it. I think the referee has friends and has friends and the friends. Like, come on. Really? Get, you go there? I guess that uh, people that were at the press conference said that the U.S. press agent, like, essentially just yanked took, her. took the cane and yanked her off the, the podium at that point. Warner Brothers styles. Yeah. No. Anyway. All right. Um, the quarterfinals are, uh, you know, I think it's still set up. That France-Germany game on Friday, the, I've heard that there were 60% tickets sold, which is not a bad number considering it's a 4 o'clock start on a Friday. And 60% of the big O is still a lot of people. Yeah, it's a lot of people there, but there's going to be empty seats in there. And So if you want to go and you're around the area, I highly recommend it. Uh, you've got the the U.S. playing China and the repeat of the 99 game. Of course, you've got the uh, the Queen Liz Derby uh, that we talked about already. And uh, what's the one I'm missing here? Oh, the, the Matildas. The Aussies, yeah, which uh, are all quickly becoming the uh, the underdog story of the tournament. Uh, interesting uh, game, that. They're the, Australia are the Canada of the London Olympic Games in the World Cup in 2015. 
Yeah, they, they've done a lot of good work on a, their league side of things, as I said, in uh, five rings. So, so I think that that's going to be a bit of a toss-up game. I could see the uh, Aussies making a semifinal as the upset team in this time. Absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll do the famous Canadian review. NYCFC. No, I'm kidding, Kevin. Um, how are you doing? Uh, NYCFC 2 nil over TFC. Uh, At BMO we, Field with a lot of Manchester supporter. Uh, there was a the? lot there, but there were nah, a few. It was a few. People were making fun of me all game, like uh, whether I was in NYCFC, I was like going to rip my strip off in the middle of the game. I'm blue. No. I'm blue after all. Um, look, as I said to people in the game, it was just it was a that's so TFC game in the sense that they they so thoroughly outplayed them in the first half. Like they were all over them. Could have scored like five or six goals in any other game, but alas, the football is a funny game, and they didn't. So they were down one 0 The second half wasn't quite as good, but they still had the majority of the play. Look, I don't know what point there is breaking down the fact that they badly outplayed a team. And didn't get the win. I don't know what point there is doing that because it's going to happen in this sport. TFC used to win games back in 2013 occasionally. It happens. So if you want to panic, go ahead, panic, whatever. It's, I can't stop you at this point in time. No, but uh, like you say, it's just a, maybe a bump in the road for TFC. And a, a team like NYCFC can still be dangerous on those one-off games because, yeah, they're an expansion team. They're having trouble putting a string of results together but there's still players like Vila that if they really want to take over a game they can and it's always that danger we saw with Montreal with Orlando Kakao is invisible and you saw the result on Saturday I think the same thing goes for that NYCFC if Vila is not on point that game it's not the same result yeah David Villa is a you know, remarkable player but it's he did score the brace but in many ways the story was about I don't want to blame the referee, but the ref, because he called it the same kind of both ways, so it's TFC's imperative to overcome that. But he did allow NYCFC to play precky ball, basically, and those in Toronto know exactly what I mean by that. They chopped them down. They tried to, you know, Javinko, they were hitting him behind the scenes. They were kicking him when they could. They were, you know, get it. They had him off his game, too, and that's something Javinko's going to have to learn to overcome because people are going to watch that tape and they are going to start fouling them off the ball. If MLS referees are going to let that happen, which you can argue whether they should or not, and I would say they shouldn't. They should protect their their skill players regardless of what team they play for. However, this is but MLS. They protect all of them too. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not just talking about Javinko. I'm talking about anyone. Like they, This should be about skill players if they want the game to evolve. But at any rate, uh, they didn't on this day. And he they, they were hacks. They gooned them down. But... Again, for those that are listening outside of Toronto that want to accuse me of bias and being bitter or whatever, I'm, it's TFC's fault for not overcoming that. They need to figure that out. They need to understand that that's what's happening in the game, and they need to adjust. And maybe they need to have someone on the roster that they can put out there to fight a little power, little fight a little fight with fight, right? Yeah, those players that you see uh, come in maybe late in the game when it's a chippy game and just calm things down by <laughs> retaliating or something. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's what it. It could be it's, the hockey in us there. That exactly. Be, like the, the, there's an enforcer now? Come on. I don't know. Well, it could work. Colton Orr. We're going to put Colton <laughs> But I think it's something we're seeing. Uh, I call it uh, the lowest common denominator. That in a league like MLS, you're trying to 
to, to raise the, the, the profile and level of the league as a whole in the next, what, it's already close to 2022, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But whenever there's a good team or a good player, and I include Nacho Piatti because we're saying the same thing that's been done to Jovinko, we see it in Montreal, they get hacked down, foul, foul off the ball, uh, trash-talked on them, and really trying to take them off their game, but in ways that it's the lowest common denominator. They're not trying to outclass them, to outshine them, to outperform them. They're just hitting them cleats up on their sliding tackle. Adrian Serio, when David Beckham's famous, you got a red yes. card. Welcome to MLS. Blank is what he said to him. And that's essentially what was happening and what these guys are doing. We're going to go in hard on you, and you're going to have to deal with it because in North America, in northern North America, they allow more physical play than they do in much of the world. And it's something that those players have to get used to. Let's move to Vancouver real quickly. I don't know how much you break down a, two penalty kick saves in a game. Like, I like Damn. good keeping. That's, 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 that's what you'd say. Onstead's uh, been, I think, their MVP in the first half of the year. Now, is that sustainable to have a keeper as your best player? No, it's not. It, but could it work for now when Rivero's having a little slump and Tybert's been busy with the national team? Does it help for now? Yeah. Does it keep Vancouver in the hunt, in the race for that top of the Western Conference? For now, it does. Do they need those scoring back? Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think he is. If I had to vote keeper of the year right now, it, it would be him. Um, and you can't take the points off the board. I think that's I've said that about Vancouver every week. This year. You can't take the points off the board, even if you can question how they're getting there. They're getting there, so you can't take those points off. Uh, you know, maybe we'll have that all-Canadian MLS Cup final with Don Don Garber with gritted teeth. You can, I, I'm not. Maybe it's Montreal, Vancouver. I'm not saying, but you can imagine Don Garber going. That'd be great. I'd love that. That'd be so fun. <laughs> Speaking of maybe Montreal, uh, remember a couple of weeks ago we we're talking about how Montreal was last in the East. Very that a big gap. Well. That gap is no more, and not just that. They're in the playoff, and we're starting tomorrow with three games, between three and six games, with most teams only one with TFC. But if there's a win tonight in that 4-1 derby for Montreal, they're taking over the TFC spot. And in the only way to really calibrate the team in the East until everybody has played the same amount of games, so it's the points August. per game. So <laughs> like September, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the end of September. It's the last week of the season. Well, Montreal's got the third best points per game in the Eastern Conference, which is amazing considering their beginning of the season and it, the progress they've been doing, the play, the, the control of the ball, the poise of the ball, the possession they've been working on. There's a big change of how they used to play in the CONCACAF earlier on. And against Orlando, a dominant performance with a player like Laurent Simon, who probably played his best game in MLS. And I have to agree with some uh, with Patrice Bernier on Extra Time Radio this week. Lassima is probably one of the best defenders in MLS, if not the best defender in MLS. Yeah, no, certainly. He, he's going to be right there 1A, 1B with Newcomer of the Year when you look at Javinko. Yeah. In fact, Javinko is going to be in the conversation for MVP. So maybe yes, he, so maybe he gets MVP and Lassima gets the uh, yeah, most uh, the best, best newcomer. newcomer. Yeah, that might be something that happens. Um, I think that by and large that, look, we're here and talking about, like, what the, I don't even know what to do. I've been doing this for a long time. The three Canadian teams are all doing well. Like, what the hell am I supposed to I don't know. I what are we going to bitch about? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, um, there's too many points. <laughs> no, we're not. We're just teasing. Yeah. We, we like it. Is this the biggest MLS 401 derby ever? I think the question needs to be asked. Is it the first time that an actual standing spot is on the line for a 401 derby? Yeah, yeah, it's not a, it's not a, the end of the season the cup, spot. There's obviously been the cup final wins. There's yes. been a lot of drama in the in the Voyagers Cup over the years, but but the cup only feels big to us. Yeah. A game like tonight, I had people that don't usually follow us or retweet us, but 
in the states they're talking about it because it's branded rivalry week and it's getting a lot of eyes tonight because soul game at this time it's getting a lot of eyes from down south so I think because of all those things together, the Sejan Betis day today, I think it does bring the level of that game tonight because of the intangible, the holiday, and the fact that everybody is looking at rivalry week. Yeah, and I actually had this conversation with the Extra Time Radio guys when they were trying to figure out what the best rivalry in MLS was. That the most organic rivalry in MLS, with apologies to the Cascadia ones, is Montreal-Toronto. Maybe Boston-New York as well might be equal, but Montreal-Toronto has... 500 years, maybe 2,000 years of history behind it. Is you mentioned if you go back to the yeah. different uh, different Native American clans, you're it, absolutely it's right. It's the French versus the English, the Iroquois versus the Euro. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's it's insane when you think about it that way. And you know, the Leafs and the Habs, obviously, they haven't played you know significant games against each other in a long time, but it's still an interesting thing. It's still still the Canadian Derby with all due respect to, to Vancouver who I think looks at Cascadia anyway as more of a rivalry than the rest it, it's there's just so much history with, between Toronto and Montreal and it's so rare that the two teams play each other in in a meaningful way because when Toronto was well, Toronto's never been up but when Montreal was up the one year that Toronto obviously was having its worst ever year so those league games didn't really mean that much that said the last game of the regular season, I was sitting behind. Joyce Saputo was 20 feet away from me in that game. And Toronto, all it had for the last month of that season was the ability to maybe take Montreal out of the playoffs. And they damn well came close that day. Very close. What? Eight minutes. If it wasn't for Justin Mapp, it would have been done. But it's eight minutes away from eliminating Montreal for that one-game playoff. Yeah, and, and even if even at that first case, ever Canadian history still, but the, for one-game playoff. Yeah, well, it's play-in games. Play. Yes, I know. And I, for the record, I for the record, if Toronto ever makes the play-in game, I will not claim that they make the playoffs. The first Canadian team to make the playoffs is the team to make it to have a home game. So there's the battle still there. I I don't believe any Canadian team has been in the playoffs. I think two Canadian teams have been in the. The play-ins won twice, so there's there's my feeling on that. But I'll ask you a question, Dwayne. I I answered that question on Canadian Soccer News this morning. But do you think that tonight is finally the first BMO Field victory for Montreal? Is everything in line for that? Does, does all the stars and the galaxies in line right now to to get Montreal that victory, or would the BMO goals come back? Uh, I don't think it'd be a BMO ghost. I think that TFC, this is by far the best TFC team that's ever existed. I think it is, I argue, amongst the top three teams in the Eastern Conference in terms of pure talent, and they're they're angry. Easily, yeah, they are angry. So, you know, if it is, look, you mentioned that this is St. John Baptiste Day. I think that really matters for American listeners out there that are out there that that's you know, going to have probably a bigger traveling crowd than usual because it's a holiday in Quebec, so people... And can... it's a meaningful holiday. It's a holiday that's for some, for maybe half the population still that has a different vision of the, yeah, this yeah. country. It has a big meaning to them. It's so a it particularly could... meaningful holiday yes. when they're playing Toronto. Exactly. It, it, wasn't done by, it wasn't done by mistake, this game tonight. Yeah, it, it's, there's, there's that history that, you know, 76, uh, 90s... The red and the blues. Too. Yeah, you can go back there. Uh, the... It's almost the left and the right in a way, which was center-left and center-right. We're not going to talk mm-hmm. politics, it's, but there's a lot of ways to look at that game. So it's center-center-left and center-center-right. Well, it's... Yeah. Lefty-righty. <laughs> it's a little left-left. Anyway, uh, but the, the, the separatist politics are actually highly involved as well, and so obviously... And the language. Some... It's, if you listen to Extra Time Radio, another shameless plug for them, Patrice Bernier is on it yesterday. Uh, 20 minutes he talks about 
the origin of that rivalry and how it feels for him on the field, off the field, how his teammates and national team feel about it. And it's very interesting. I suggest if you're interested in that subject, listen to this. All right. Um, I think that the rivalry from a Toronto perspective, to speak from my angle for a while, has dulled a little bit just from repetition in the last few years. Yeah, overexposure. It, we played the, the, the impact so much. When, but com- combined between the three times each year in MLS and at least twice in the last... So it's been five times in the last two years. So that's ten games, and that's a lot for it to maintain its freshness. There was a time back, especially before Montreal came in MLS... When that game was like everyone was geared up for it, it was the biggest game of the year. It that the game I will maintain the best game I've ever seen at Beagle Field was the game that the Impact won the Voyagers Cup by drawing um, back in 08. And that the intensity in that stands that day because it was the first significant game between the two teams. It was the first Canadian Championship with that format. Yeah, and uh, it was an amazing game that uh, Don Garber actually talks about it. How that was the day he woke up to like the potential of, of Canada as a wider market than just Toronto. So it was a significant game in a lot of ways. Uh, Maybe a game that actually changed the course of soccer in Canada forever. It, it, perhaps, yeah. Uh, funny no stuff. pressure, folks. No pressure on the game. <laughs> also a game that I, I know someone that stole the Quebec license uh, plate off of the back of the Impact bus. It's fine. Hold. I know people who threw seats, so it's so fine. That's, that's it all it together. Yeah, it's, you know, back good old days. <laughs> good old days of the battle days. At any rate... Back in the um, days of the old BMO and the old Fatsaputa. Yeah, that's the stadium barely looks the same now. At any rate, uh, what what size will the crowd, the travel crowd, be today? Do you think? That's a couple hundred. I think the fact that it's not an organized, there's some organized, but it, I don't mean it's not the club like last year, 2000, are going to travel. Yeah. But it's a holiday. There's a lot of people in the buses on the way here today. A lot of people in the trains and the planes. So I imagine that would be maybe between 100, 150. My uh, my estimate for the game tonight, which is a lot for a weekly game. All right. And as the old chant goes, tick-tock, we welcome our friends from the impact. That's how it goes, right? That's how I remember it. All right. And uh, until later this week for USL Radio and all the other shows from Off the Work Studios, well, have a great soccer and happy Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day. Bonne Saint-Jean. Les feux de la Saint-Jean ce soir au BMO Field. <laughs>